Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the pleasure of having someone that I feel like is a good friend of mine because we met a year ago and it's taken me a while to get her on the podcast. (laughs) And she goes by Elle. So Elle, say hello to everyone. Hi. Thanks for having me. You are so welcome. So let's just first tell everybody how we met. And I'm going to let you introduce that part of it because you know I'm going to mess up the name. (laughs) Yeah, so we met through, um, I guess, just a desire to talk about Yolo Book of Load, PDX. And honestly, I mispronounce it all the time. Even though (laughs) It's my event, mine and Margaret Pennard's. Um, And it's a book event in December. That's based on an Icelandic tradition, and we host um, a slew of local Pacific Northwest authors. Last year, we did it online, obviously, but this year, we're actually back in person, masked up, of course, but we're pretty excited. We're going to have a tea vendor and a chocolate vendor. Should be exciting. Fantastic. And I was going to ask you, follow up with that, is it going to be live this year? So that's fantastic news. So before we dig deep into you as an author, um, do you want to just plug the website so we know when that event is, if you're in the Pacific Northwest around the Portland region? Yes, that sounds good. So you can um, find us at yolabuckaflow.pdx.com. And um, so <laughs> it's complicated to spell. So I would type J-O-L-A. PDX. Mm-hmm. And if you type that in any search engine on any social media, you will find us. Awesome. It is faster to remember Yola PDX because the rest of the letters can get very complicated to remember. I misspell it all the time and we've been doing this for four years. <laughs> I love it. And I'll make sure you guys that in show notes that there is a link to that website as well so that you don't even have to mess it up like I've done a million times. So <laughs> So, and the truth be told, I found Elle and uh, Margaret. I stalked you guys, which is my favorite story. I'm a stalker. <laughs> um, Instagram, I, I don't know how it was. I, I found you guys on Instagram, found out you were in Portland, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to get these gals on. So, I got you on to talk about um, Yolo Local Flow. I think I said it. And um, and then we just haven't had the chance to have you guys individually both come on and talk about your writing careers. Um, we did have Margaret on, so we'll make sure you guys go back on my um, my podcast. You'll find Margaret Pennard on there. And her and I have done quite a bit of stuff together. Well, not a lot. We've done some things here and there. But Elle, tell us about you first. And we already know you're kind of in the Portland region, but are you originally from Portland? Um, no, I'm an army brat, so I'm originally kind of from all over. Germany, Georgia, Louisiana is where I spent um, a good portion of my younger childhood. And then Raleigh, North Carolina is where I spent from 12 until I moved here when I was an adult with my husband. Nice, nice. So Northwest is different than North Carolina for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah. a beautiful and welcome change. It's yeah. We moved here because we were getting very tired 
of the weather mm-hmm. and he'd lived there his whole life. So we were just ready for a change. Good. Well, we are so glad to have you here. So you're also an author. Now, are you a full-time author? Um, I mean, you could say that I'm technically um, on disability. So that's my main my yeah. main profession is just being disabled. But um, that is what I do anytime I have the mental and physical capabilities is I write. So. That's awesome. Awesome. So we're going to dig deep into your titles and what you have done, how you've done that, and the journey to that. Um, so what would you categorize yourself as as far as genre for writing? So I actually narrowed this down the other day. I'm <laughs> a psychological fiction author. Um, I say it that way because technically you can put a lot of genres in that. And I love writing multiple genres. And I know that for an indie author, that's not always the best for, you know, your career. Sometimes it's complicated to find you. But my first book is completely different from my most recent one. And my next one is super different. I've written a magical realism LGBT romance. Oh, nice. Um, And some people just call it a ghost romance, which I think is really sweet. Um, Then a psychological suspense. And then this one that is coming out um, November 4th is just straight psychological suspense. Um, You could also just call it psychological fiction. It's kind of like Big Little Lies. And right now I'm working on a horror satire. So very cool. (laughs) Yeah, I'm all over the place. No, I love it. I think it's important. I mean, I think that's also the thing about being indie author is nice is that you don't have to get pigeonholed into just writing one genre and you get sick of it. So I think that's fantastic. Um, so you already stayed you're an indie author. So I love that. I, I am just in love with the indie author world. I'm having a blast on my end of it. So it's been super great. Love, love, love the indie author community. Um, so tell us though, kind of what got you started. Had you always been writing ever since you were a kid? Did you grow up and say you wanted to be a writer? Kind of take us through that journey of the, the whole genesis of Elle's writing career? (laughs) Actually, no. Writing was not on my radar for a really long time. I went through the, you know, zillions of careers, just like every other kid. Um, I landed on special effects makeup, actually, and I was a special effects makeup artist for six years. That was most of my, um, like, adult career in North Carolina. Right before we moved, Um, I did some amazing jobs. I was offered some really great things, but it was very clear that physically I could not keep up with that. That was very demanding 24 seven. Sometimes it was a beautiful, very rewarding, very hard on the body situation. So when we moved, I had already written two, um, novels that, I basically wrote during a surgery um, because my recovery from my shoulder surgeries left one of my arms just not working. So whenever that happened, I just wrote novels. Um, I guess I always pictured them turning into movies, though. Mm -hmm. To me, it was, I don't know how to write a screenplay. I'll just write this as a story because, you know, typically you know how to write stories. You know, that's Mm -hmm. just something you learn in school. So when I moved here... I was like, well, let's try this. You know, I've, I've written these things. They're good. They're not 
great. <laughs> I need to practice, but they're good. And this place has some really wonderful, you know, it has a great indie author community. Mm-hmm. So when I moved here, I met some really beautiful indie authors. Um, I joined a couple small communities and I just took those two novels and put them in the shelf, uh, put them on the shelf and started working on a whole new thing and put a lot of my heart and a lot of my emotions into it and workshopped it with a couple people. And I realized that this is a great alternative because I can write movie scripts without putting them into movies. You know, I, yeah. I write as if they're going to be films. That's how I always write. And if it doesn't translate in my head to being a movie, then I'm missing something. Yeah, that's how I am too. I almost call my chapter scenes. They're not they're not chapters in my head. They're a scene. I won't finish it until the scene is ran out in my mind. That's what I call them too. Like yeah, yeah. because I feel like a chapter can be 12 chapters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Me, a chapter is just a word. It's not got anything to do with the parts of the yeah. story. Yeah. So yeah. it's funny you say that. Yeah. So that's kind of how it started. I um I submitted my first like fully formed book to a f- I, I told myself I would send it to five um publishing places because I'd done that with my very first novel and I got really good um feedback but they were like this isn't ready because we don't know where to put it oh, um, love it and mm-hmm. I was like cool I'm literally doing this while I'm being a special effects makeup artist, whatever. Yeah. And so here I said, I'm going to do it to five places. And then if it doesn't work out, I'm going to be an indie author because everyone I knew was an indie author. Mm -hmm. All five loved it, but it was in between genres. One person asked for a manuscript and they said the same thing. No, they're not wrong. It's Mm -hmm. magical realism. It's ghost. It's LGBT. It's romance. It's eat, pray, love. I mean, what is that? I don't know. I still don't know how to define (laughs) it. I changed the title of it or the the genre of it every time I talk about it. So I think that's awesome. <laughs> you know, like of course it doesn't have a traditional place. That doesn't mean I don't love it. It doesn't mean it's not good, but it didn't have a traditional place. So I realized that this was a good route for me. And so from then on, I was like, I'm gonna write whatever I have a passion for, which also means sometimes I'm just gonna drop a project like a hot potato, which you really can't do once you've signed up with a publishing house. Yeah. Another part of my indie journey that I love so much. And yeah. then I just, I'm here for being an indie author that can just kind of play. And it's especially great as um, a spoonie, which mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with the term, basically means person with invisible illness. And mm-hmm. I have quite a few of those. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice because there will be months at a time where I may be able to get a few words on the page. And with a traditional company, they're like, you know, we need pages. We need a manuscript by this. Give us mm-hmm. editing by then. And that's not how my life works. So this gives me an exponential amount of freedom to do kind of whatever I want. And, you know, if people read it, great. If they don't, I mean, I was going to write it either way, you know, because it's yeah. in my head and my voice, the voices in my head aren't going to shut up until I put yeah. it on page. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's great fun. Doing this is just so much fun. I just love it. I love how you describe the aspect of some of the freedoms of being an indie author. Um, It's true. You know, there's a lot of people, a lot of us that um, have deadline issues or mental health issues that deadlines do not lend to very well. And they actually can be worse on your mental health. 
And I think that that's the beautiful thing about an indie author. The industry has opened up so much that we can take our time and we can play with it, like you said, and enjoy it and not necessarily have that massive, massive deadline stress or structure to it. And I love that part of it too myself. So, so what you did, El, talk about that I wanted to pick up on is that you joined a couple of groups. So is that where you learned all about how to be an indie author? Did you take some classes? What would you recommend to somebody um, that is kind of starting out and maybe has a first draft written, right? But they don't know what to do, where to go. What do I do? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think getting to know other indie authors was infinitely more helpful than the classes. I mean, well, I'm at Writers Conference. I thought it was great. I've been multiple years. I volunteered. I know almost everyone that worked on it during those years. I don't know who still works on it right now because, you know, things change. But I um, I find that a lot of the organizations here have been, you know, really wonderful and all of the people involved are great. And actually, a lot of indie authors are involved in these groups. But knowing them one-on-one and being able to, at this point in time, have Zoom calls and, you know, socially distant, depending on vaccination stuff, but like just the idea of going to actually have conversations with them, like sit down and get to know them and pick their brain with very specific questions, getting yourself a critique group. And when I say that, I know that some people are like, oh, someone's going to judge me. And I don't necessarily even mean have this person tell you what's right and wrong with your manuscript. Because critique group, in my mind, is someone that's, there are groups of people that are meant to make you better. Mm -hmm. People in my critique group, I have multiple critique groups. And one of them, they actually can't read all of my work. They do not read horror. So they critique parts of the work. They critique the part that isn't horror. And then one of my crime writer friends gives me feedback on different stages of my book. So she doesn't read my first draft because I personally don't let anyone read my first draft. Yeah. Oh gosh, no. Drafts are are (laughs) wonderful and messy and problematic. And even though my first drafts have gotten better and better, you know, I believe that some people have good first drafts for Mm -hmm. sure, Mm -hmm. but the average person's first draft is just not ready. Um, So, you know, after second and third first draft, I send it to some people and they give me feedback and the good thing about having people that you trust and that you get to know in the community is you can tell them, I don't just want you to tell me what's right and wrong. You can give them questions that you want. Yeah, yeah. And in, in classes, you know, they're going to give you specific thoughts that they want to tell you, or they're going to, they, they have very specific opinions. Some of the classes that I went in, they, they start off with, this is how you do things. And that's mm-hmm. to me, a little toxic. It, and they didn't mean it that way, of course, because that worked for them for 20 years. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. You know, like you mentioned mental health. I also have quite a bit. I've been battling with mental health issues since I was 12. Um, it, that's not healthy to hear. Yeah. Someone yeah. starts with, this is how you edit. And you're like, um, does that mean I'm doing it wrong? Or does that mean <laughs> my book sucks? I know. I start checking all the the tick boxes. Right. <laughs> not and, you're, enough. and you're like, do I need to re-edit my book? Does this phrase suck? Oh my gosh, you say that this particular phrase is redundant and now do I need to look forward to my book? And no, because people use those phrases in colloquialism. So it's it's just nice to have real people that you can have conversations with at the end and say, okay, 
what's going on with my book? And they can say, look, um, you know, let's have a conversation rather than just red pin it, which yeah, honestly, in some cases can be more helpful, you know? Yeah. yeah. I love it. That's such a great illustration. So thank you for sharing that with us because I do talk about this with authors on this podcast um, because I was terribly nervous about getting into a group of writers because I always wrote in the closet for years and I'm terribly dyslexic. And I, I've come out and shared these stories now that my first book is out. And I've, and I've talked about some of my struggles, you know, growing up and being very, very dyslexic and very shy and not talking in public. <laughs> so people are like, what, you have a podcast? You need to talk in public as a kid? I'm like, yeah, no, I was terrified. Um, and having a speech impediment. And so um, finding a group was real challenging for me because I was worried that I would get criticized or critiqued wrong and I'd fall apart and I would give up. Luckily for me, my first group has been my best group. I mean, I haven't gone elsewhere and they've been all that supportive kind of help. But the way you described it is so valuable that it's not necessarily, it's learning from discussion with each other. And once I found, figured that out and that that they shared with me was also valuable but I didn't always have to take everything they said, but it was giving me a good reader's point of view. That helped me a ton. And then I got to do that with them, which is exciting because I'm like, oh, so analytically, I can give them great constructive feedback too. And I have some value in voice. So that's exciting to share as well. So, so I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, so as far as your aspect of the indie publishing, did you hire... What parts of it did you hire out for yourself for your books? Absolutely none of it. Really, you done? You did? You, did you didn't one. hire any editor or anything? Nope. I wow. have um, a beautiful sister, oh. <laughs> and she goes by a pen name. But luckily, she can do it. Mm-hmm. She could technically be hired by someone else. I'm very fortunate for that. Um, I suggest. If you don't have someone like her, yeah, yeah, um, that yes, you get one someone, but um, she's technically if if I knew someone that was looking for an editor and she had time, I could suggest her. So yes, you're that good. You're not just being partial because she's your sister. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. No, she because she's my favorite kind of editor, which is she talks to you because we do it in three different stages. The very first is we have conversations, and it's. She marks off a bunch of questions where she basically says, what the hell? (laughs) What is this? This is great. I love this. This should be more. But genuinely, I don't know what's happening here. Tell me this. Explain this. You lost this thread. And she just, honestly, she rips it to shred. But that's what she should do, right? Yeah, exactly. And then the next stage is she helps like polish it where she says like, okay, we lost this thread or this character doesn't really sound as much like it, you know, you lost this character aspect or for instance, I don't really have a lot of smokers in my book, but like suddenly they don't smoke halfway through the book. And then the next step is the actual line editing with the commas and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just very fortunate. But I also have um, a lot of the, my beta readers and my critique groups are also very good at catching some of those things. And they also are, they offer to read it multiple times. Mm-hmm. I am very, very fortunate that I have these people that are willing to do this much work for me. Yeah. If were any of them stopped, I would hire multiple editors because mm-hmm. I have ADHD and um, 
a couple of my um, invisible illnesses will make uh, my brain skips. So I will skip one or two words and I won't ever notice it. I will edit it. On the same way. (laughs) And the word will not be there and I fill it in. The back cover of my book that's out right now, there are 25 copies that have an S on the back because I went back and tinkered after she finished it. And I was like, oh, I just, I forgot an S. She had fixed it. Yeah. But I was pretty sure that I messed it up when I pasted it into something. And yeah. then she looks at it and then she goes, Elizabeth, <laughs> you put an S. And by the way, for those listening, Elizabeth is my actual name. Actual real name. <laughs> so that's right. But L is my pen name. Yeah. So she's like, um, you, you added an S and that's not supposed to be there. So now the rest of them read what it's supposed to read, which is what she told me to put in. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I know that technically getting another professional editor so that I could have a second set of eyes would be beneficial, but I'm on disability. My husband is a teacher. We make huh? no money whatsoever. Yeah. And I have this great support system. So, you know, I'm fine with it. If ever I start getting a bunch of comments that says like, you know, wow, this is really poorly edited. You should work on stuff. Then I will say thank you readers, I will do what I can. And well, I would think because, you know, I'm honest if it happens. And all of us get it. I mean, it doesn't matter how much editing you get or who you pay for it. There's going to be mistakes. Matter of fact, if funny story, I haven't told anybody yet. So um, I've been getting quite a few more subscribers since my book's been out on my emailing list. And I did this conference and got more subscribers. I've been on a big podcast. So I'm getting more. So I'm getting myself out there. And I did, I do edit all of my own website and everything. And because I'm dyslexic, I won't see specific mistakes. I mean, and if I'm busy and then I don't take the time to really stop it. So I did make a graphic and it had one typo on it and guarantee you someone nailed me on it. And it was an email from an author and it was kind of not a nice way of saying it, you know? So I just was like, oh, for over like two days, I just debated about, should I respond back? Should I not respond? You know, this is going to happen. There's going to, you know, the more you're out there, the more there's mistakes. We make mistakes. And I did craft a really nice response, you know, thanked them and also said, Hey, I'm only human and I'll be the first to admit my mistakes. So thanks. <laughs> but, but the fact of the matter is, is that it happens to all of us. So, um, and I would think by now, you know, you've had enough readers that it there was a blaring mistakes. Your system's working for you. So I think you're fortunate to have that system. That's fabulous. What about your artwork? Did you do all the artwork yourself on your covers? I do. I, um, before my, well, I guess during, but mostly before I really got into special effects makeup, I did graphic design. Oh, um, so I actually went to school for it, um, okay. for graphic design and for uh, web design. It wasn't really necessarily a passion. It just kind of was a thing that was available. Yeah. I thought, why not? I'll test it out. It seems like something that might be helpful. And so I... Well, there it's paid for itself, right? It it really has. I I love doing covers. I actually do covers for pretty much any story that comes into my head way before. Like, cart, horse, what's up? Yeah. Um, I think I have covers for almost every idea that I have. And I have about 50 ideas right now that are just yep. kind of sitting. I'm probably yeah. going to write maybe two of them. Yeah. Constantly get new ideas that are more exciting. I'm the but, same way. <laughs> but I just love making covers because I just get really excited. I'm like, oh, this this yeah. kind of idea, like, oh, this photo would work. Oh, let's do this. And so yeah. Yeah, I'm 
That's where my... I'm super visual. And so I tend to plan visually. And so I almost, if I get a character in my head or start on a storyline, I have to do the same thing. I have to design the cover. I, have to, I want to design a website to support it. I want to design all the characters, you know, backstories and find images that make me think of who they are. So I'm very, very visual. So I'm the same way. Um, but I won't claim to be a graphic designer by any means. I like, I know what I like and I know the things I like, but I, I've been fortunate my daughter, one of my daughters went into graphic design. So she's my graphic designer. So I'll come with her with a bunch of ideas and then she'll clean it up to make it look professional. <laughs> I love that. I love that. My friend, my friend uses me sometimes yeah. for that. She's, she's only needed a couple business cards, but my friend has used me for that. And I, I fully support it. Um, you know, you, you use the resources you have because, you know, that's what we're here for. If we know you, like, let's all tap into it. No, it's so nice. And that's another part of the great aspect of being an indie author. The more you connect with people. So if you're out there wondering how to get started, start connecting. Because the more you connect with people, the more resources you're going to get to help you do this. You know, no, I don't think any of us could do it on our own. There's not one person that I could ever think that I've talked to in all these interviews. They said, I did everything on my own. (laughs) I, I've met one or two and, um, I obviously am not going to name names, but I will say that you can tell. And it is not, I'm not trying to be mean. No, I understand why they did it, but you can tell because the thing is, is it, you need more eyes. You need help. You, because time is finite. Anyhow, like you need to step away from your project. Sometimes you need to have a life, um, you know, and part of having a life is not staring at your computer screen, not and they, staring at your words. Yeah. And it's, it is a project. It's, it's so funny to me. It's not just writing words on a paper and then they're going to get published. It's so much more than that. It's really bringing to life a product and then selling the product and selling that somehow to the right people. It's just, there's a lot more involved. Some of it I like, not all of it, but some of it I like. I totally agree with you there. Yeah. Advertising and marketing is it's, not my favorite part. Yeah. I don't mind making the marketing materials because graphic yeah. design is cool, but yeah, like selling yourself mm-hmm. and like writing those emails and apply. I for hate things, it. I yeah, kind of loathe it. I'm like, oh, just find my book. My I'm the same way. <laughs> all the time, we're like, we'll just carry our book around and we just hold it up and be like buy it. Okay. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah. what we'd like to do instead of yeah. trying to convince people. It's good. Just know. buy it. Here's the reason why you want to read my book. Here's my book blurb on the back, the five reasons why you want to read it. It's like, I don't care. <laughs> I get I that. Yeah. You know, it's an art form for sure. I tell you, learned, a, I've learned a lot. So I don't know about you if you've learned a lot, but in the last year or so, I've been like, I I have a mini marketing degree, I feel like. <laughs> oh, no, it's true. One of my friends is um, uh, an Amazon, like, number one bestseller of her genre for about two years now. Mm-hmm. Constantly, number one, sometimes gets knocked down to number two. I sent her the blurbs for my book because I'm, like, not good at it. Yeah, but not it easy. And honestly, she sends it back. And if it looks rem- even remotely like it, I'm shocked. Um, because I'm like, oh, wow, you kept yeah. the sentence. That's exciting. Because <laughs> the first time she read it, she was like, um, let's talk about how to sell books. And I'm, I'm just thinking, not like this, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Again, no. you know, you, you utilize what you have. And yeah. my friend is currently taking an Amazon ads course. And nice. she, it's 
she's been every Friday we get together and she gives me all the information she learns. She's like showing me her notes because she says, well, I paid for it. You don't have to because I learned all the information. Well, like it's networking, you know, you yeah, share information, share. I mean, that's that's the good thing about going to conferences every once in a while, too. Like you might not learn a ton. It might not be for you, but it might you might have learned something else for a friend. So doing it every once in a while might be worthwhile, you know. And I think, I think sharing your, um, what you've learned it, well, there's a cognitive aspect to it in the aspect that, um, as a teacher, you're going to, um, have to know your stuff to be able to teach it to someone else. So that's that principle about cognitive learning and and sharing that learning. So if you have something and you share it with somebody else, you got to be able to explain it well enough for the other person, which means your brain has to engage in it enough to do that for yourself. And so that's why I love education and why I love teaching, because I won't teach on anything that I haven't tried to understand it myself. And then I want to share with other people how I got there. My brain's really messed up. So I can get there, but he can. <laughs> I love that. That's, I mean, that's how I feel too. I yeah. felt super lost. I mean, it took me, I, I had just gotten my other career off the ground. It took me years, you know, I was doing it for six years and it took me all that time. And I, I taught people like I, I literally had actual courses in North Carolina and then I come here and I'm starting from scratch again. And I'm like, everyone teach me your ways. And now I do the same thing. People yeah. are like, Hey, can you teach me? And I'm like, yes. Yeah, I need a cup of coffee and let's have a conversation. And if you want too much detail, okay, maybe we talk about thirty dollars for like just the fact that I'm going to be giving you access to stuff. But yeah, just let's sit down. I'll give you. I'll send you my spreadsheets. Like whatever. I've already put the work in. Let's share the knowledge. You guys are not. I don't see people as my competition. No, yeah. There's room. For so many people, we're all kind of, this sounds sad, but it's not mean, meant to, we're all screaming into the void, right? It's true. We it's true. You like bolster each other. And the thing is, mm-hmm. is if one person gets more famous in quotes, right? Then if you've been good to that person, you'd like to think that that person can start advertising for you. Just like I have posted about other people that were yeah. like smaller than me. And now I'm, I mean, I'm still small fish. Let's not like even sort of joke and pretend it's otherwise, but you know, we just trade off knowledge promo, you know, you do right. Yeah. It's all good karma. I believe in it. I believe in giving back and sharing and letting other, you know, being there further. So that's great. I I just love your energy. I I could, we could talk about this all day and maybe we should just start our own marketing podcast for indie authors on how to do it for this. Because, you know, I have all the time in the world that I'm sure you do, but it would be fun. <laughs> we'll come up with something. Um, so let's dive in about your titles. So share with my listeners your titles of your books, and then tell us which one you're going to read from, because I don't know if you remember that I have um, authors read on the podcast. So I'd love you to read one of them. And um, while you're doing that, I'm going to go mute because the dogs are in the studio with me, and I do not want them barking while you're reading. <laughs> That's that's fair. So um, I have three books. My first one, The Ghost Magical Realism LGBT um, Fiction Situation, is called I Never Stopped. Um, the Psychological Suspense Serial Killer Small Town Vibes um, is called Sweethearts. And then the one coming out November 4th, um, which is Psychological Fiction, Big Little Lies Situation is called Our Tragedy, and that's the one I'll be reading from today. So 
it's from um, multiple point of views. And I'll read you the small tagline, which is a wife accused of murder, a teenager searching for answers, a neighbor who knows everyone's secrets. Now I'm going to start with saying I am a terrible reader. I basically have a form of dyslexia. I do not know what the word is, but I skip over words even when I read. So I apologize if I stutter a little, but uh, just bear with me. (laughs) Okay. Week one, Sunday, Corey. Corey skids to her husband's body. The skin on her knees scrapes and tears on the sidewalk, a hot press to the childish burns. Her voice comes out broken, hoarse. Leo. Leo, wake up. Limp, he doesn't respond. Far off, Corey hears a siren. She imagines it's for them, and someone is rushing their way with a gurney and defibrillator, oxygen, needles, bandages, and bags of O negative. Thick warmth oozes beneath her fingers as she tries to staunch the bleeding. Leo's stomach and chest are covered in the cheap Merlot they toasted with on their wedding day because he hates champagne. Her screams fall flat in the oceanic silence of the childless cul-de-sac Sunday afternoon. Leo's chest hasn't risen. It's as still as the vanity rocks beside their mailbox. Corey knows the moment her lips touch his that he's gone. She just kissed these lips. They moved with hers, warm from a late morning coffee and chapped from the too cold spring. Taking a deep inhale, she offers her life to him. Two breaths, three. Corey realizes she can't remember how to properly perform rescue breathing. Four breaths, six. She presses on his rib cage and her hands slip. It happens again with the second compression. Nothing's happening. Wake up, Leo. Get up. Don't do this to me. I love. She presses a kiss against his bloody chest as she does every morning, only this time without the expectation that it will rouse him. She surrenders to the already lost battle and briefly wonders if she'll be able to hear the sirens over her heart pounding, now beating for two. Clarence. Asian female plus ginger male. Detectives, late. Female seems to be in charge. Male pudgy officer is attracted to female. She pays him no mind. This makes five officers in the ME so far. ME says at least four stab wounds, but won't confirm. Clarence closes his leather notebook with the pen still inside and wraps his warm cord around it. He can keep track from inside his house, or he can keep track from outside his house. Given that the police will knock on his door soon enough, he may as well glean more information directly from the horse's mouth. He grabs the long-handled umbrella he pretends is for rain and not because he's too stubborn to get a cane, then steps into the bright sun and calamity of the crime scene his neighbor's yard has become. One of the male officers scribbles on an office supply store notepad as people talk to him. He glances up, nods, writes, rinse and repeat, just like Clarence. Most of his neighbors beat him to the punch, already closing in on Corey and Leo's home. They politely nod to him, not wanting to make the moment social in any way, while a plain-faced female officer is none too politely pushing back onlookers coming from nearby streets to gawk at the cul-de-sac's tragedy. Clarence steps to the far edge of the tape and listens to the smitten, doughy officer go over what he knows. The wife was on the phone with her sister, Persephone and Moira, respectively. Persephone goes by Corey. 
The husband was out getting the mail. The husband's name was Leo. Corey said he gone. He'd been gone for too long, and she was concerned. When Leo went outside, she found him like that. The officer hitches a stub of a thumb towards the body with a blonde in a lab coat hovering over it. The victim has been stabbed, but Linda is still trying to figure out how many times. Clarence jots down that Linda must be the medical examiner. Corey tried mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, said she knew he was dead, but she, quote, had to try. He's my husband. Then she screamed until new two neighbors came out. The caller was her neighbor, Clarence Niedermeyer, at 593. Have you heard the 911 call yet? Calling her a vampire and the like, it does paint a picture. Anyhow, he said very little and hung up. Never did say his name, though, but he's the only one who lives at that address. He just wanted on and off the phone quickly is what I think. Sometimes you don't have time for pleasantries. On the other hand, maybe he didn't want to get involved, wanted to keep his name out of it. Can't blame him. The other neighbor, uh, other neighbor, um, Ninny, yes, Ninny, over there, waited with Corey. She lives in the pink house across the way. The officer is clearly pleased with himself, as if his summary was exceptional. Detectives find it adequate, nod once, and wander to the front stoop where Corey is sobbing loudly. Clarence uses the moment to sneak to the mailbox. I shouldn't touch it, but it's open. He sighs with relief, not needing to worry about fingerprints. He glances at it from the side and the front. Nothing out of the ordinary. A bill, a credit card offer, mailers. While everyone seems occupied, he sneaks a balled-up hand past the mail to the small listening device in the back. He pulls it back and slips it into a, in his pocket. That could have been a major problem for him. Taking stock of his surroundings, Clarence notices that Ninny is wearing a sky-blue pajama set with clouds even at this almost afternoon hour. Geraldine's husband is home for the week, which is the first time in three weeks and two days, if Clarence recalls correctly. Lynn has a full face of makeup plastered in place, more around her left cheek and the bridge of her nose, and her hair is pulled back in a severe ponytail. Clarence clinches the handle of his umbrella. I've offered to help. He's just begun to move towards Constantine and her two homeschooled teenagers dressed in two short pants and faded t-shirts when he hears the Asian detective introduce herself to Corey. Leo's blood is coagulating on her shirt, drying on her skin, cresting off her mouth and cheeks. Detective Charlotte Park, she says. Clarence wonders if it's odd, if it's as odd as he thinks, that she gives her first name too. Maybe it's to humanize her. Another note for his book. The detectives are sorry for her loss. To that, Corey's mute. Slowly, Clarence moves towards the large tree that separates Corey and Leo's house and a neighbor's. Behind it, he can hear much better. When you can, tell us what happened in your own words. The female detective, Detective Charlotte Park, has a pleasant voice, soft but strong, with a hint of Korean influence. Corey takes her time answering, swallowing hard before she begins. We were watching television when my sister Moira called. We just finished a documentary about... Corey's volume drops to a whisper, and a sardonic laugh accompanies her free-falling tears. They darken the drying blood on her face. The detective responds. She and her partner, name still unknown, fade in and out of a volume Clarence can barely hear. Corey's head droops from scorned child to doll with a broken neck as they speak. 
flattened curls dangle into her swollen horror movie poster face. Composing herself, Corey starts again. I started talking. He was only supposed to be gone for five. Corey's voice rises with anger as she says, I figured he was talking to a neighbor. As quickly as she puffs, she deflates like a balloon. Take your time, Ginger says, supporting blood. I walked past the window. I, I didn't see, but it was taking a while. Corey hiccups and sobs wrap her body. Calling his name, he wasn't moving and there was blood. She either gets quiet or goes silent for a moment and Clarence can no longer hear. He already feels lucky for what he's been able to hear. It's much more than he expected. It takes him a moment to realize why. At first, he figures the scene is understaffed. That thought is quelled quickly as he realizes more police have arrived. They are fending off reporters. Clarence must have snuck in under the wire, which means that in any moment he'll be exposed. Let me through. I'm her sister. A woman Clarence knows to be Corey's sister, Moira, rushes through the growing mass of people. We were on the phone together. Oh, God, Leo. Moira's voice breaks. Out of view, Clarence only knows that she stops talking. He hazards one last glance at a crying Corey. Moira, still mute with shock, is holding her hand. Another wave of tears stream down, and Corey pushes a stubborn, sticky curl behind her ear. I was just screaming for anyone, for anyone to help save my hiccuping sobs, cut her short, and for a moment she's lost in grief. After taking a few breaths to compose herself, she continues, Who am I without him? Why would I want to stay if he's... Corey spaces out with that as if she's imaginally a world without them in it. It took so long, so fucking long before anyone came or not. Maybe I, how can this be happening? As Corey talks, Clarence notices the red on her teeth. He guesses it's from laying her face on Leo's bloody chest. The color reminds him of the time she ate an elf cookie in the cul-de-sac's annual ugly sweater cookie party. and its decorations stained her mouth. Everyone had a good laugh about Tom going behind Sarah to add more food coloring. This taints that memory. Clarence imagines what the photos the press are furiously snapping will look like. A woman with blood on her shirt, hands, face, lips, and even on her teeth. If anything encourages the press to call her a vampire, capturing this moment will do it. He knows that this is partially his fault. Especially since Clarence went and put the words right in their mouth. His 911 call, the police scanner, they all spur people that listen to and follow accident reports like hounds. JNW News, the most famous news station in the city, has sent their best and brightest to report. Philip greets. He's telling what is sure to be a captive audience that little, the little that he knows, while three other vaguely familiar newscasters do the same, and a wiry woman with wet, stringy hair screams something intelligible at Corey. That's Clarence's cue. He slips away, weaving through the reporters, onlookers, neighbors, and near neighbors. By the time he's made it across the street to the house, Corey is being driven away by the police, Moira's little blue car following close behind. More than half of the neighbors and press disperse as soon as her head of curly hair in the back of the police car is out of sight. Now that the vampire widow is gone, what's the point in sticking around? He pictures Corey's face covered in Leo's blood on the front of every newspaper in the city. The headline story for 
every local news station. It may not be as remarkable as some other crimes happening in this very moment at this very moment, but the visuals are stunning. Bravo, bravo. I love it. So Clarence is quite the awesome character to see everything through. So I'm excited to hear his perspective. I think there's some more going on there with him, right? <laughs> he's um he's older, obviously. And um he the beginning part that I listed out, though it sounds really bad, I know it does, but you can't see that it's his writing. So it's his handwriting that lists those things. It is not um, racism, which is kind of what He's just recording it for himself. Like he's a little armchair detective. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Yeah. He he has quite a few, and there's a, a couple little handwriting notes throughout there. But yeah, he basically, he watches the neighborhood. I got that. That was so great. I love it. All this is wonderful. Well, okay. So as we close out for the podcast today, and did you give us all your titles? I think you you did list all of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'll make sure that your website and contact information is in the show notes. So listeners, make sure you jump onto the show notes and get Elle's um, contact information. But leave us out of the podcast with um, an inspiring advice for authors that aren't possibly as far as you are you've published three books right Right. and so and that's a huge feat so bravo bravo so for those of us that haven't gotten that far yet what would you share with us so though it sounds cheesy i would say keep writing now before you're all like oh of course um i don't mean just like push through and keep writing i mean like every idea you have is valid. They might not all be the one, right? They might be a 1,000 word story. They might be a 500,000 word story, which by the way, a 500,000 word story is definitely a series. Don't tell yourself otherwise. Okay. Um, (laughs) I love it. Yes. (laughs) But write everything you think of, whether it's a paragraph, whether it's not, because if you don't keep pushing yourself forward, you won't get better. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't publish your first book that as soon as you know how to do it and you feel like it's ready, but you're going to write better things. So don't get discouraged if the first thing you write isn't amazing, but don't also think that, you know, you have to just keep putting things out, 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 just focus on writing, get your words on the page. And if the first seven things you write, you just don't feel like they're where they need to be to be published and just keep doing it. You need to be in love with your stories. And if you fall out of love with your stories, then stop writing. Literally, stop writing. Just stop the project. Because when I say just write, I mean just write what you love. Period. Write only what you have a passion for. But just keep doing that over and over and over again. Sit down at your laptop and write the words, whether it's five words today, whether it's 10,000 words because you're somehow just a freaking beast. I don't know. Just put the words on the page that make you happy and know that in one month to 25 years, you will have something that you're proud enough to put out. Will it be a bestseller? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe zero people will read it outside of your family. But if you were happy when you wrote it, that should be your only goal. Mm-hmm. It's just to write and put out something that makes you happy. If, if you're going in with the goal to make money, then 
Honestly, I have no advice for you. Not because I'm not like super prolific and making a ton of money. That's not why, because I'm not aiming for that. I don't do a lot of marketing because that's not my goal. My goal is to just sit down and write. I ditch stories if I don't like them, but I'm constantly working on things. I have like seven projects that I'm tinkering on while I'm focusing on one because something sparks. I write, I write, I write because every time I put words on a page, the next words are better. Mm -hmm. They're always going to be better. I love it. That's such great advice. And I'm taking it in. So Elle, thank you so much for being here. Listeners, here's your action item. Get on my show notes, find her website, grab one of her books, make sure you email her or find her at Jolo Local Flow in December or on Instagram and let her know where you found her if she was the podcast. And we are so glad to have you here. And I would love to have you come back and we can talk about your version of marketing, which I think is inspiring because I don't like to market either. Well, you can have me back anytime. This was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theauthorslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Author's Librarian, signing off.